Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable. Y'all, it's my last week in America. I leave next weekend to head back to Ghana. You know what's weird? This feels like vacation. And being abroad feels like my real life. It's so weird. Like I drive around the city or I do certain things and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I'm glad I get the chance to do this. I know I keep extending this vacation. I'll get back to my real life soon enough. Bouncing around all the time, being off kilter, being an expat, immigrant, whichever you want to call it. That feels real. This feels like holiday. I had a good week. I finally went out again because like all last week I was in the house, except for the warm meal. I was in the house, but I went out Wednesday. Vital Voices had their Global Leadership Awards and they were honoring women from around the world who were doing the epic things that we're known to do. There was one woman who's building a rape crisis center in Uganda, but it's everything from medical facilities to legal representation to shelter for abused, battered, abandoned women and their children. There's another woman who's creating clean energy. There was another woman who was advocating for women with disabilities. There was Ava DuVernay, who I'm obsessed with. Hillary Clinton was the keynote. It was really good. It was a great occasion to get fancy and dressed up and celebrate some really epic people. And then also, obviously, raise some money for the organization. They got budget. The award ceremony was in one of the smaller halls for the Kennedy Center. And I think someone said from the stage, it fits about 1,400 people. But all 1,400 were invited to an open bar reception with food that went on for, I want to say the ceremony ended at 9.30. Me and the homie left at 11.30. So, and the bar was still open. I love a good budget well spent. It was a really nice time. But that was it. There was other stuff that I was supposed to go to, but I am deep in the trenches of prepping to go back to Ghana. I've got all the trunks spread out in my old bedroom, and I'm trying to make executive decisions about what goes and what stays. I'm going to be gone for 
I think another seven months this time, maybe eight. The plan is Ghana and then back to South Africa, Cape Town, and then to Kenya or at least East Africa. I haven't decided where I'm going to base out of yet. It might be Nairobi, probably Nairobi, but I'll be bouncing around East Africa. But that's the plan. So I have to pack for Ghana's weather, which is blazing hot the whole time I'm there. I think the low is 87, but then South Africa doesn't really get that hot, especially in Cape Town. And when I get there, they're in fall moving into winter. So I have to pack for that. Kenya, you never know what the temperature is going to be in East Africa. It goes up and down. I think they're going into fall too by the time I get there. So there's the weather consideration. And then there's also the cultural consideration. Because while I'm in Ghana, the plan is to run around North Africa in January and February. Because it's like 70 to 75 degrees as the high. As opposed to, I don't know, like 120. But I think all of North Africa is Muslim. So I can't wear the same stuff I wear in Ghana. Even though Ghana is conservative, you can get away with a spaghetti strap and a skirt above your knee. You're not going to be harassed in the street about it. The Middle East, you could get away with it to a degree in Dubai, but I'm not trying to test that in Egypt or Morocco or Tunisia. We'll see. So I got to figure out how to pack for all these different climates and cultures. I ordered a bunch of dresses. Over half of them are going back, which I knew going in, but I got what I need just to have some more variety. I was up until three o'clock this morning, sitting in the middle of suitcases, making a running list of all the stuff that I still need to get before I go back. (sighs) This is not the part that I enjoy. I don't enjoy packing. I don't enjoy airports. I don't really mind so much flying. Usually when I'm traveling a long distance, my rule when I can afford it is anything over six hours. I get a lay flat and if they have it available, everybody doesn't. I have a lay flat going back to Ghana, both because it's a nine hour direct flight, but also because I need the extra baggage. I can carry two 70-pound bags plus a carry-on for no additional charge. I want to say the extra baggage fee is only 200 to get that third suitcase over, which is worth it to me because I need my stuff. But I'm really excited to go back. Like, Davida is over there. I told y'all Davida moved to Ghana. That's my business partner. Y'all know Davida. She's been on the show before. But she moved to Ghana earlier this year and posting daily and gallivanting everywhere. And I'm like... But I thought we were supposed to go together. And she was like, I thought she was going to be back in October. (laughs) Duly noted. But I was like, every single place that you're going, we're going back when I get there. Thanks. And she's driving in Ghana now. You got to hear the story. I'm not telling her story. She needs to tell her story. But I want her to come on the podcast and talk about her life. What do we have in good black news this week? I believe Sierra celebrated a birthday. Her husband. Russell Wilson, I'm reading this on People Magazine. It says, Russell Wilson rents out an entire Waffle House for wife Sierra's birthday. This is next level. People says, for his wife's 38th birthday, the NFL star rented out an entire Waffle House location in Denver for family and friends to celebrate with Sierra, who is pregnant with her fourth child. Sierra posted footage from the party. The caption read, Waffle and a date. You know my heart, baby. I love you so much. Now, usually this would be kind of uneventful. Russell stayed doing beautiful things for Sierra. He act like he actually liked his whole wife. The reason I'm mentioning it is because there's been this ongoing, I don't know if debate is the right word. Clusterfuck might be more accurate. We talked about this previously and I didn't give it much detail because I thought maybe it would go away, but it snowballed. So remember I mentioned... This woman did this video about how she doesn't go to Cheesecake Factory. First of all, 
the whole thing was a skit. This woman is a therapist and she said that she was making content to show women basically how bad they behave. All right, sis, sure. But out of this video spawned a list of places that women don't want to go on dates. So Cheesecake Factory was number one. Some other chain restaurants were on the list. Fast food, church, family event, your house, the movies, coffee dates, ice cream dates. So we're into week two of a national discussion on where people want to go on dates. This is how Sierra comes into it. Men have been, and some women, have been very fired up about this issue. They do not understand why women will not want to go on certain kinds of dates, particularly to chain restaurants. That's like been a big sticking point. Coffee dates, we've already debated. It'll circle back around soon because these stories always go in cycles. The men's arguments have been, basically, you should be grateful that anyone is even asking you out. Your outfits are from Sheen and cost next to nothing. You should be happy with a chain restaurant, which I was like, wait, because you didn't pay a lot for your clothes? That means you can only eat at chain restaurants? There was something else. Oh, you're not a 10, but so you don't deserve anything more than a chain restaurant or coffee. And then this new talking point, which has startled me, which is Waffle House is good enough for Sierra, but it's not good enough for you? And I was like, wait, wait. When did Sierra become like the ideal, like someone to be placed on a pedestal to be compared to? This amazing woman accepts Waffle House, but now you won't. Because any other time, I mean, and for years, Sierra has been hated almost as much as Jada Pinkett Smith. Y'all have made podcasts. Y'all have done think pieces. Y'all have made memes. Y'all have slandered this woman every possible way because she dated Future, who somehow y'all still love. But I feel like she dated this bum dude and then had a baby and was a single mother. And so she should have no business with somebody who's like upstanding and godly and high value regurgitating. I'm not saying I believe these things regurgitating the argument like Russell Wilson. But now suddenly like Sierra is your queen. I mean, great for taking the day off of Sierra slander, but also using the woman that you've been slandering for years to make a point about how women should accept what you're offering is just bizarre. Also, just the idea, like, Sierra likes Waffle House. Great. That's amazing. I have no judgment one way or another for Sierra's taste buds. Tabitha would say that's her business. But, like, because Sierra likes something, then every other woman must also like what Sierra likes? And again, this is so weird because Sierra is usually their poster girl for everything that's wrong with women. And now all of a sudden, because she goes to Waffle House, now women should be like her? Misogyny is chaos. It's just chaos. Y'all don't make no sense. Also, because part of the argument is like you wear sheen, so it's about money. Like your clothes don't cost a lot, so your dinner shouldn't cost a lot. Part of the argument about why women shouldn't want these things is the economics of it all, which is the only reason I bring this part up. You do realize that in this story, Russell didn't just take Sierra to Waffle House, nor is this their first date. These people have been married for nearly a decade and are working on their third child together, the fourth child that they're raising. But it's her birthday. It's a special occasion. He rented out the Waffle House. They didn't just pull up and get a random booth. He invited her family and her friends. 
They had a whole party at the Waffle House. So he paid to rent it out. And then he paid for his wife to eat. And then he paid for all of her family and friends to eat too. If you're going to tell the story, leave the context in. Please. That's all I ask. It's so crazy to me how one day you could be the villain and the next day you're on the pedestal. I mean, good for Sierra. I think she's belonged on a pedestal all along. I'm glad they took a day off of dragging her. They'll be back soon. But at least she got a reprieve for her birthday. Happy 38th birthday, Sierra. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app. Or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. In other good news, some might not say it's so. I think it is. Jada Pinkett Smith, her book Worthy. We will be discussing the next 100 pages. We'll be discussing that at the end of the episode. But Jada Pinkett Smith's book, Worthy, landed at number three on the New York Times bestsellers list for nonfiction. Congratulations to Jada Pinkett Smith. I saw all last week people were saying it's a flop. Nobody's buying the book. I told you I went to buy the book the day it came out and I got the last copy and I was like, oh, yeah, she on to something. I was surprised she didn't hit at number one. That's what I was expecting. But number three is very respectable. Top five New York Times. She's done well for herself. What's interesting, though, there's an article from Newsweek from three days ago. Her book hadn't even been out a week yet to give it an opportunity to make the Times list. And the headline from Newsweek is, And it's not even a question. It's declarative. Jada Pinkett Smith's memoir is a flop. And yet, it's number three, verified on the New York Times bestseller list. Good for her. I read the book. I gave myself two weeks to read it. I think I bought it on Tuesday. I finished it on Sunday. It didn't even take me a week. Once I got really into the thick of it, once she gets to Hollywood, the book just rolled. I was really invested in what's going to happen next. I think one night I stayed up until 3.30 in the morning reading. It's a really good read. Also, congratulations are in order for Will Smith. He launched the podcast. It's called Class of 88. The official PR breakdown describes the podcast as listeners become immersed in this landmark year for hip hop through in-depth, hilarious and emotional interviews with the artists that helped define the genre. In addition to Will Smith, who offers his unique perspective and personal experience, the podcast interviewees include Queen Latifah, Salt and Pepper, Daryl DMC McDaniels, Run DMC, obviously. Rakim, Fab Five, Freddie. I love that dude. He gave me amazing advice one time. I'll tell that story in a book one day. The one that I'm going to write and then die that week. I'll tell that story. DJ Jazzy Jeff, obviously. Chuck D, JJ Fad, Supersonic. I love them. And DJ Red Alert. I've seen a couple teasers. I saw the one he did with Queen Latifah. I'm obsessed with Queen Latifah. I met her once backstage at Essence Fest. I was getting ready to go on in the Walmart booth, so I was probably coming from the trailer. And Queen Latifah went by on a golf cart going from one side of the convention center to the other. And I saw her, and I don't usually get starstruck. I get starstruck about, mm, that's why I got starstruck. I get starstruck about writers and then also people whose music I grew up on. I remember the first time I saw Ladies First, and I was obsessed, obsessed 
obsessed with living single. So that tracks. But I saw Queen Latifah go by. It took me a minute to be like, that looks like Queen Latifah. That is Queen Latifah. Oh shit, that's Queen Latifah. And by that point, she like rolled by. So I just yelled out of nowhere. I was like, I love you, Queen. And then she yelled back, I love you too. And then kept rolling. It was great. It was so great. That's not the point. The point is, all episodes of Class of 88 are available to stream now. If they were paying me, if this was an ad, I'd tell you where, but it's Will Smith. He's on all major platforms. I think I'll check it out. I definitely want to hear the Queen Latifah one. And then also, there was one with Salt and Pepper. I saw a clip that he put up. You know how people recreate family photos? Like they'll find a picture of them with their dad as a kid, like sitting on their dad's lap or something, and then they'll recreate it as adults. There's a picture of Will Smith and Salt and Pepper from late 80s, early 90s, and they recreated the photo. It's on Will Smith's Instagram. I watched it like at least seven times. I was like, oh, they turned out good. They turned out okay. They are on a great journey. R as in present tense, not past. When Will Smith announced this podcast, because he did it earlier this week, I was kind of a little about it. Not because of the content, but I was like, yo, like you couldn't let Jada have her moment. One of the things that comes up in Jada's book over and over and over is like Will being this big outsized personality and Jada having to be a plus one for years um, and going along with his program, even though it wasn't necessarily the program that she or the kids were on board with. Will talks about this, how the whole family rebelled against him and was like, no. And he was like, what do you mean you have feelings? Feelings? What are those? He talks about that in his book in depth. But I was like, you couldn't give Jada like a full press run? I'm like, this is one of the things your wife has been complaining about in the marriage publicly. I heard it. So I know you heard it. And then like you went and dropped a podcast like the same week. All my publicist friends were like, girl, you know, this shit was playing. And I was like, was it? Was it? Was she okay with the planning? Was she? When we get to the last part of this book, pages 300 to 400, Knowing that part that Jada had shared made me wonder. I'm like, did she know this was coming? Or did he just tell her like, hey, this is what it's about to be. And she was just like, huh? Like the train is in motion. It can't be stopped. It's going. Get on board. Wait, what? I don't know about these two. Oh, Jonathan Majors. You know, I keep his name out my mouth unless there's an update. I read that his trial starts. This is from NPR.org. This trial keeps getting pushed back. His new trial date is November 29th. If you recall, he's facing misdemeanor charges of assault and harassment. And if convicted, he could face up to a year in jail. According to Hollywood Reporter, his attorneys did try to get this case dismissed. The judge denied that motion, evidently, because we have a trial date of November 29th. This thing's been dragging on forever and a day. I do think it is worth noting Because several people sent it to me and they were like, he's been vindicated. And I was like, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. Um, But the woman who accused Jonathan Majors of assaulting her, I'm reading this on the New York Times.com. It says, uh, Jonathan Majors' accuser, the woman who accused the actor of assaulting her, is arrested but will not face prosecution. She was arrested on Wednesday. Majors had filed a counter complaint claiming to be the true victim in the altercation. So the woman, the former girlfriend, she was charged with misdemeanor counts of assault and criminal mischief 
and was released with a desk appearance ticket that requires her to appear in court at a later date. Still reading from the New York Times, the arrest occurred even though the Manhattan District Attorney's Office said in a court filing that it had told lawyers for both the ex-girlfriend and for the actor that the District Attorney's Office would decline to prosecute her if she was arrested. So why the hell was she arrested? The New York Times quotes Doug Cohen. He's the press secretary for the district attorney's office. He confirmed in a statement that the district attorney's office had, quote, officially declined to prosecute the case against the ex-girlfriend because it lacks prosecutorial merit. The matter is now closed and sealed. An attorney for the girlfriend, I'm intentionally not saying her name because she is an alleged assault victim, even though her name is all over the New York Times. If you really want to know it, you can find it. Plus, we've been discussing this case forever. If you don't know the woman's name by now, are you paying attention? Do you really care? The ex-girlfriend's lawyer said that he and his client were disappointed that she had to face an arrest that prosecutors had determined was unwarranted. Her lawyer added that forcing the victim in such a case to be arrested was unfortunate and re-traumatizing. I really hope that Jonathan Majors ain't doing what they say he did. Because that would mean you got caught cheating on the lady. And then you hit the lady after she caught you cheating. And then you kicked the lady out your house. Then you started publicly dating someone else. And then you also had the lady arrested. Do you understand how fucking evil you would have to be to do that? I, I really sincerely hope he is not that person. We'll see. He going to court eventually. Current trial date, November 29th. Would be great if we could wrap this up this year. I would really not like to see this story go into the new year. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. We need to discuss Dwight Howard. A Georgia man, and I'm reading this on AP, filed a civil suit against Howard in July, alleging assault and battery false imprisonment, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. In a response filed this week by Howard's attorney, Howard says the 2001 encounter at his home 
was consensual and requested, and his lawyer asked that the case be dismissed. The man's lawsuit, it says he met Dwight Howard, former NBA player, through Instagram, and they exchanged explicit text messages. I feel like I've seen the screenshots of the text messages floating around social media, but they exchanged explicit text messages before arranging to meet at Howard's home back in July 2021. That's bold. Like, you're an NBA player and you're inviting strangers you meet on Instagram to your actual house house? You're not asking to be robbed doing that? I'm not saying it's your fault if you get robbed, but I'm saying, like, bruh, the gentleman who's suing said he was on his way to Howard's house when Howard texted him to ask if another man or woman could join their planned sexual encounter. The guy said he told Howard he was not interested. He continued on to the house. He says once he got there, they were joined by a man dressed as a woman who identified only as Kitty. He tried to resist the two men, but Howard and Kitty forced him to participate in sexual activity. After, the man felt extremely violated and humiliated and was in complete shock. Now, this is the um, the PC version that we're reading here on AP. I saw a more thorough, if you will, description in another publication. And I believe it said the man got there and Howard took his pants and underclothes off and then began performing oral sex on the man against his will. And then Howard eventually stopped after he realized the man wasn't appearing to enjoy the sexual encounter. Is that a euphemism to like his penis wasn't getting hard? But then after Howard stopped performing oral sex on him, the man was coerced, might be the proper word, to engage in a threesome with Howard and then Kitty, the man dressed as a woman. But I guess if they were having sex, the man probably didn't have on any clothes. So just the man, Kitty. There's so much to this story here. And again, Howard has denied these allegations. He says the three men agreed to, quote, engage in consensual sexual activity. He asked the court for a summary judgment with court costs and attorney fees to be assessed against his accuser. I don't think that's going to happen. Woo. How do we want to dive into this one? First and foremost, I give two shits about Dwight Howard's sexuality. Wherever he falls on the, the LGBTQIA plus spectrum is his business. And he has said as much. He says, what I do in my bedroom is my business. Where I lay my wood is my business. I don't have to explain anything that goes on in my house. Y'all are too damn nosy. My issue, twofold, is not his sexuality. It's like, sir, did you or did you not assault this man that is accusing you of assaulting him? If you are out here sexually assaulting people, then you need to be locked away. I'm going to keep my eye on this case and see how it plays out. What I do find very interesting and also very consistent, this story has been making its rounds all over social media, all over the blogs. As you can imagine, text between an NBA player and another man talking sexy to one another, trying to arrange a hookup is very titillating for a lot of people. They're more interested in the idea of Dwight Howard fucking another man than they are outraged about the idea that Dwight Howard is alleged to have assaulted another man. 
Y'all skipping right over the assault to focus on the gay? Huh? But a lot of the people that acknowledge the assault, it's like a clear-cut thing that it happened. And I was like, wait, what? I've never seen an incident play out online when there's a black woman accusing a black man of assault where the majority of people just seem to believe her. Like, oh, she said it happened, so it happened. And especially not when the man is famous. Like, I haven't seen anyone try to call this guy a gold digger and not that they should. That's not the point that I'm making. I've seen no one be like, well, this happened in 2021 and why did he wait until July of this year to file? Like if he was so violated, why didn't he say something then? I haven't seen anything like that. And not that that should happen. That's not what I'm saying. I've seen people really giving the accuser the benefit of the doubt that he was assaulted, which they should. This is what should happen. But I was like, y'all know how to believe somebody. Y'all know how not to question the timeline. Y'all know how to refrain from assuming somebody's just accusing someone of assault because they're a gold digger. Y'all know how to do this. It's evident because you're not doing it with this man in the same way that you do it with damn near every woman who's ever accused a man of assault, especially a rich man. It's fascinating to watch. Y'all are capable. Y'all know how to do it. You just won't when it's a black woman. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm glad this man is being treated decently. I'm glad that he's being believed. I would love to see that the way that people are treating this male victim, I would love to see them treat women that same way. That's what I'm saying. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. This is the portion of the podcast where we are now going to discuss Jada Pinkett Smith's book. We're discussing pages 200 to 300. If you have not read this portion, if you're not interested in this portion, if you do not want to know what happens in this portion, please log off now. Please stop listening now. I'll wait. So we are on page 201. Literally on page 199, Will Smith calls Jada Pinkett. It's the week that his first wife has filed for divorce and he calls Jada and is like, hey, what you doing? By page 201, Jada Pinkett is declaring that she is drunk and she is in love with Will Smith. I would just like to note this book is approximately 400 pages. It takes us until page 201 before we get any sort of in-depth conversation about Will Smith. This is not a book about Will Smith. Jada meets him. She goes head over heels immediately. She likes him because he was upbeat. He was happy. She says that she was at a phase in her life where she believed that a troubled person was somebody who was deep. But she was like, Will is really, really happy, but also really, really deep and really well read and a great conversationalist. She also says that from the beginning, they were a bit of a clusterfuck. She says in bits and pieces, Will and I told each other about our respective stories of growing up in chaos and dysfunction. In hindsight, it's clear that we were each running from ourselves and our thorny past. 
too busy adapting to the demands of wanting it all and trying to have it all, but in different ways for different reasons. At the start of our relationship, I sat him down to explain the breakdown I had gone through and that I'd been taking Prozac. That same day, I stopped taking it. In the euphoria of this storybook romance, I felt, who needs Prozac? I don't know how he felt about my admitting what I'd come through. He just smiled and said, okay, and kept it moving. In hindsight, again, in hindsight, she writes it twice. It's obvious we were showing each other red flags. He was freshly separated and running from having to face how and why his marriage had dissolved. And I was about to make him my new Prozac while running from the reality that I had been diagnosed as clinically depressed. But who cared? We were young and the whirlwind between us was too intoxicating at the time to pay the red flags any mind. I literally wrote in the margin, oh God. Jada also tells this story, which is like hugely dysfunctional. I was like, girl, these red flags, they were big and waving in the wind. If you didn't see the flag, you didn't hear it flapping? Apparently not. She and Will get into a fight one night. They're on vacation. He's on the phone with his estranged wife. It's Thanksgiving. And he's wrapping up the call. And I think he asked to speak to his ex-wife's mother, a.k.a. the grandmother of his son. And Jada gets upset and barks in the background and makes a scene. Will gets mad at her. It's like, you're drunk. Which she admits that she was. She's trying to start an argument. And Will's like, I'm not doing this with you. He completely shuts down. She says he spits his words with finality, lies back in his chair, and closes his eyes. She says in the moment, she realizes that she overreacted. And she's ruined the mood because they're on vacation. They're in Jamaica. It's supposed to be a hot and sexy night. And clearly it's not going to be because of her interrupting this phone call. She says in order to get things back on track, she goes up on the roof of the house and jumps off the roof into the swimming pool below. And she yells, I love you, Will, on the way down. She said she came out the water. She says Will was sitting in the same lounge chair she had left him with his eyes closed. She shuffled toward him, soaked and shivering, her teeth chattering as she continued to profess her love for him. I love you, Will. I love you, Will. I love you, Will. She said Will was smiling from ear to ear. She writes, my plan worked. He got up and wrapped me in a towel that was on the back of his chair and pulled me into his lap. He said, you are crazy as hell. You know that? Then he kissed me and held me in his arms so I could get warm. This was us. And this night was a preview of the next damn near three decades of our life together. Living on edges of our own making and driving each other absolutely crazy. Sometimes joyfully and other times with great... Her pause, not mine. Dislike. I don't love nobody enough to go jump off a goddamn roof into a pool, even if I could swim. That's... Flipping ahead, she talks about going to Gladstone's. That's one of my favorite restaurants in Malibu. I heard it closed, which I was like, Gladstone's is an institution. How could Gladstone's close? But she goes to Gladstone's. One of her girlfriends is dating Shug Knight. Her girlfriend was interested in Shug, but she'd also heard all the rumors about him being, you know, Shug Knight. 
So she asked Jada to come with her so she wouldn't be on the date by herself. In my first book, I have a whole chapter dedicated to my night out with Suge Knight. I called him Sugar Bear. He seemed to like it. Jada Pinkett Smith has the same description I did. She says his charm was on full blast like a big old teddy bear. (laughs) And I was like, yep, that was my first impression. I had a great encounter with Suge Knight. I've only had one encounter with Suge Knight. I never spoke to him, never saw him again after that night. We went to a diner, me and a couple girlfriends. He's very charming. And then we got to the diner. It was like girls on one side, boys on the other. And we were like, why the fuck are we here? Like, you're not even trying to talk to us. We threw down money and left and walked to the car. And the guys were like confused. We got in the car and this guy ran out after us. And we were like, oh God, because you know, it's Shug Knight. So we were like, we're about to get fucked up. And the guy ran out and like handed us like this wad of money. But he said something like, Shug was insulted that we pay because he's a gentleman and he would never invite women out to eat with him. And then charge the women for food. Between the three of us, I think the bill might have been like, I don't know, $40, $50 tops. But the guy came out and shoved like at least 100 He didn't give it to me. He gave it to somebody else. But it covered what we ate by a bunch. And then also valet for the diner. I have lived a crazy ass life. Thank God I had a praying grandmother. She also talks about finding out that Tupac died. She was devastated, as you can expect. Will is actually the one that told her he died. Remember Tupac is signed with Death Row? I want to say Shug Knight had put up the money to get him out of jail. And Shug Knight was driving the car that Tupac was shot in. She said, when I heard Pac had been cremated, I believe Shug Knight was the one behind that decision, which made me ask questions. I never heard Pac say that he wanted to be turned into ashes. Pac only ever talked about being buried in a casket. He spoke of it in his songs and he told me of the morbid fantasies he had of his death envisioning masses in the streets following his casket to his grave she said to make matters worse at the private memorial his mother chose to have i answered the door and it was suge knight who delivered pox ashes into my very hands in the cardboard box one is given by the crematorium i'll never forget the slight smile in his eyes when he handed me that box like there's your homie homie She said, I tell you what, and I do myself no good to say it. I wanted him to pay. I never felt that intense need for revenge in me before. Pac was dead and Suge handed me his ashes in a little cardboard box like it was just another fucking day. No, I'm sorry for your loss. Nothing. I hated that I had no way to get even. Take revenge. Confront Suge. Find the joker who pulled the trigger. Make somebody fucking pay. She continues. There was a lot happening. And I felt I was putting a lot at risk if I kept involving myself in Pox Matters. I knew eventually with my continued involvement, it was going to pull Will in. And I just could not jeopardize that. Pock had done his best to keep me away from the dangers of his world. He would not want this moment to be any different. I swallowed my pride and walked away. As time passed, it healed nothing. I spoke before about like the way her relationship with Tupac is characterized. They were really on some Kesmet shit, but it was friends. Like, I think it was beyond just like a brother and sister. Like, they really just forged this trauma bond, really, for lack of a better description. But they were in it, in it, for real. Even though they weren't speaking at the time that he died, they got into a big argument and hadn't resolved it. But she also said that was their nature. Like, they would be really intense with each other. They would argue to the death and they would have these big blow-ups and then they would come back together. I have a couple people in my life that I operate like that with. We're flipping, we're flipping. Jada finds out that she's pregnant. She's talked about this before. Jada never wanted to get married. 
Her mother wanted her to get married. Her mother had a lot of shame around Jada being an unwed mother. And so she was like, absolutely, you must marry Will Smith. She does say that after she married Will, even though she was hesitant to do so, she says, quote, Will was now my everything. My heart was completely surrendered. Hearing myself referred to as Mrs. Smith was surreal, and yet it was a symbol I could finally embrace as part of my new life. She also says this. This is part of like the little self-help prompts that she puts in the book. And she says, um, <laughs> and she doesn't specifically say it of marriage, but it's literally the page after she talks about marrying Will. She says, you can never really know what you signed up for before you dive into the experience, which is some of the truest shit I've ever heard about marriage. There's been a lot of celebrity breakups and divorces as of late. And people are always like, well, didn't you know what you signed up for? It's never married people saying that. As soon as I see somebody say that, I'm like, oh, they're not married. They can't be. They may have never been in a long-term relationship even. No, no. You think you know. You think you have a good idea. There's a fundamental shift. Like the one Jada Pinkett Smith talks about, it's like the key is turned and the door is locked. Locked in. You locked into a happy place. You locked into a crazy place. I mean, maybe it's both. It's really hard to describe, but you feel the shift. She talks about the expectations that she had of her husband that she never conveyed to him. She says, quote, I expected Will to save me and heal my past hurts as if the trauma, chaos and depression experienced before we met would magically disappear with the ether of our ecstatic love. She never told Will any of this. Will is also not a therapist. And I was like, ma'am, this is a job for a professional therapist, which she realizes now half the battle, but she didn't realize that at the time. She also talks about one of her issues was that rather than expressing her disappointment or bruised feelings, she held fast to the motto of never let them see you sweat. She also talks about how she had to adjust her fighting style, argument style, if you will. She specifically says fighting though. She said they got into an argument And she was like, you know, I'm from Baltimore. You get into an argument and you pop off. She says, once in a heated argument, she said, fuck you. And she says, Will was like, I can't be in a relationship with you. This isn't going to work. And he broke up with her on the spot. And she was like, you're going to break up with me over words? And he was like, yes. She says they were apart for one week. It gave her a chance to understand there was a more respectful way of handling communication. That's a quote. And she said, she, she said, Will had set an important boundary for them. She goes on to say later, though, she says one of the unintended consequences of their more respectful conversations, she said they were devoid of the honest expression of emotions, sometimes overly intellectual or analytical. She said, imagine having to sit and speak about the moments when some women flirted with him in front of me and having to be cool, even toned, analytical and dispassionate about it. This pattern kept us from talking about real feelings, but also from experiencing them. She says the result for her was that she, quote, lost genuine expression and suppressed deep feelings. And she said there would come a day when I'd wake up and I'd feel fully disconnected from emotional honesty, my inner compass, and that would wreak havoc. But we'll get to that. My takeaway from the way that she describes her relationship is they're very famous people. They're also very ordinary people. Like their lives are plastered on magazine covers and they have really big audiences that they're able to access. They're not perfect. And I think there was a time when they tried to present themselves as such. If you really listen to the things that Jada is talking about her, I wouldn't say her gripes, 
concerns, I would say, about her relationship with Will and the things that didn't quite sit right with her, it's not much different than anybody else. There's moments like the August Alcina thing, which I would also argue really isn't that off the radar. I mean, them sitting down together and getting on TV, and she talks about that much later in the book. Like the public sit down and the husband and wife like telling the world about it is the off thing. But the idea of like an open relationship, folks do that every day. I'm on page 278 and she talks about being lost in her marriage, which I've heard countless women say. I I experienced it myself. She says it's inevitable for anyone to take a ride on someone else's bullet train that at some point you start to feel lost while traveling to that person's destinations. It happens to so many of us, not just in the entertainment world, but in many facets of life. She says, to my shock, after I happily became Mrs. Will Smith, it was as if it was the only name I ever had, even after years of establishing myself as Jada Pinkett. It was like nothing I had done before my marriage. All I had built no longer mattered. My identity had never been hijacked in a relationship before. It was no fault of Will's, of course, but of the age-old tropes that portray women who marry successful men as doing so for their entire validation. She dare not try to have an identity beyond who she is in service of his identity. I've said that about Jada for years. Everyone loved Jada Pinkett Smith until she actually started talking. So many people's ideal couple is the one in which a woman doesn't speak. Think about it. All the couples that we tend to put on pedestals, the woman doesn't talk. And when she does, it's like nothing but praise for her husband. You don't really have a multifaceted 3D look at the woman. She's just pretty and she's a wife and she loves her husband. And you have no idea what she thinks about anything else. The only real exception to that is Marjorie Harvey. And that's because she has a quote and unquote messy past. She also says this about her relationship. She says, our most profound difference in perspectives was a clash and our visions of what happiness looked like. She writes, Will was living his dream and that meant I must be living mine too, through him. He couldn't understand why I was often unhappy. She also talks about this other thing that Will does. And I think she knows that most of her readers are women and will pick up on certain things. She would go to Will with issues that she was having and he would say, we'll get to that. And there was always something that he perceived as more important or worthy of doing than discussing the thing that was important to her. And essentially, she never flatly says it, but she's like, yeah, that shit got old. Like being back burner got old. It would for most people. Um, What else comes up in these chapters? I'm flipping around page 293. Oh, she talks about her rock band. I remember that phase. And everybody was like, girl, what are you doing? She was like rocking out. Wicked Wisdom. That's what it was called. They were actually kind of big. Like they ended up doing OzFest. She said they were invited by, who was it? It wasn't the Rolling Stone, Guns N' Roses, to be one of the opening acts for their 2005 European tour. And she, But she said she turned it down because she needed to focus on the kids. So, yes, that's page 302. The last thing that she gives, and I'll leave this with you, another one of like the little self-help prompt. She says, one of the biggest traps for women is the pressure to cut off the most ugly, primal, wild, and unapologetic parts of ourselves so we can feel accepted and worthy. And then she asks readers to consider, what aspect of yourself do you believe you need to cut off in order to be accepted, respected, loved, and cared for? I have an answer for that. I'm not sharing it publicly. Do you have an answer for that? 
You don't have to share it publicly. If you want to DM me what it is, you want to just share, you want to get it off your chest, I'm a safe space. I won't tell anyone. Like I said earlier, we were talking about this book, Hit the New York Times bestsellers list. I love it. The night that I stayed up reading until 3.30, I woke up the next morning, patted around the bed. I usually reach for my phone. I reached for my book and I cracked it open and, and read like the final 50 pages. And then I went and started my day. I think it's going to do very well in the long run. I think it's going to be one of those books that people pass around. There's a lot in there, especially a part about conflicts in marriage and overcoming them and dealing with them and feelings of worthiness and finding a place and being overshadowed, all of those things. They come up a lot for women. And Jada Pinkett Smith, celebrity, all the money, all the success, still a woman in a patriarchy. Some shit is unavoidable. All right. That's the episode for today. We'll talk on Tuesday. Okay. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.